all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, James Peak. Some of you may remember him as Dr. Peak. Some of you may remember him as Secretary of Veterans Affairs, uh, James Peak. Uh, he's now in the private sector working with CGI that we're going to talk about, a little bit about what that does. But uh, Dr. Peak, welcome to Veterans Radio. Jim, it's good to be with you today. Appreciate it. And I think I left out one of your titles, actually. Some of the uh, <laughs> you out there will remember that uh, he retired as a uh, lieutenant general. He was the Surgeon General of the Army. Um, he served uh, 38 years in the Army, including uh, starting at uh, West Point, did a stint in Vietnam. Uh, importantly, his mother was an army nurse. There, there's uh, how you got on the path you got on. I suspect, uh, Doctor Peak. <laughs> My dad was a medical service corps officer. I, I sometimes I think I, genetically I couldn't have done anything else. Yeah, it looks like you, they, they headed you in the right direction. Um, and this is interesting. After uh, your service in uh, Vietnam, where you were awarded a silver star and a bronze star with valor. Purple Heart with Oak Leaves, um, you found yourself saying, hey, maybe it's time to go back to medical school, and, and you did that uh, uh, at, uh, I believe, was it Cornell University? Cornell. And yes. and uh, then got back. Uh, were you in the, continued in the service through the medical school? I did. I was in the first, um, it was a, a demonstration program at the time, uh, that allowed uh, uh, folks to go back to go into medical school. Um, so it was uh, a precursor to the scholarship program that has been so successful for the Army and the, and the military in general uh, for the last uh, several decades. No, that's been, that's fantastic, and and again, uh, you kind of got set on this course, maybe uh, maybe because of the family uh, connections, but uh, uh, you served thirty eight years in the army and had all kinds of interesting uh, careers, didn't you? Absolutely, I feel very fortunate. Sometimes I feel like I'm Walter Mitty, you know. 
Well, uh, we we can't take the time to read all the places you went and uh, all of the jobs you held and uh, the resulting um, uh, awards and decorations that came out of that, uh, including Distinguished Service Medal. I mentioned the Silver Star already. And then you, you kind of culminated that with uh, the 40th Surgeon General of the Army. That had to be an interesting capstone to your career. It was a wonderful um, opportunity, and I, I was just so fortunate to have such great people to work with. You know, uh, the, the, the folks that um, served in, in, in that office, from my aide-de-camps to my executive officers to the leaders of all of the subordinate organizations were just uh, outstanding. I couldn't have been more fortunate. Well, there's a myriad of important issues that have to be dealt with uh, when you're in that role, not only from a budgetary standpoint, but looking ahead as to what the medical problems, the toxicity problems, what troops might be exposed to in terms of, you know, uh, gas and anthrax and all of that. So all of those kind of decisions have to come through the Surgeon General's office uh, to, to weigh in on. So. Uh, it maybe prepared you for what you were going to do post-service. Again, one of those things you said, probably never thought you'd be the uh, appointed the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. But when the president calls and asks you to do it in December of 2007, uh, you said yes. I, I, again, I, I feel like I was extremely fortunate to have that opportunity. And when I went back, to, I'd been out of the military for several years. I'd worked in the humanitarian world with Project Hope as a chief operating officer and with a QTC management, which was a company that served veterans uh, in, in the VA um, doing um, medical examinations. Um, but when I went back into the VA, I felt sort of like I was back home because I had been taking care of soldiers all my life and I felt like it was a continuation of that same mission. And many of the people in the VA are folks that I'd worked with in the military. About 31% of the VA um, at that time were um, veterans themselves. So it was uh, really a feeling of coming back to a common mission with great people. And for folks who are trying to set this in their own brain in terms of timing, uh, Secretary Jim Nicholson preceded you and uh, uh, Secretary uh, Eric Shinseki uh, followed you. Uh, you were appointed by George W. Bush and served for uh, roughly two years, uh, 2008 and, and 2009. Um, and, and again, there are all kinds of big policy issues that roll by the Secretary of Veterans Affairs desk. Um, uh, after you got out of that work, uh, you went back into the private sector, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, as I say, you're currently with uh, CGI. Um, but as uh, somebody who's been serving veterans for most, if not all, of your career, um, the you know the VA gets uh, you know, bad press more often than it probably should. But it is a big bureaucracy, uh, and you saw that internally um, uh, when you were there. As you look at it today, have the have the problems changed? Has the have the uh, just been a shifting in the things that you were working on, or have have those problems been solved and we're now working with new problems at the VA? Well, I, I, to to your point, uh, the VA is the second largest 
a government agency after the Department of Defense. Um, it is a very human uh, kind of business. It's got three major lines of business. One is the, the cemeteries, um, the national cemetery system has extraordinarily high uh, satisfaction by those um, family members uh, who lay their um, veterans to rest there. And, um, and, and it's ubiquitously available really across, across the United States to very, very high standards. Um, it's got uh, the Veterans Benefit Administration, which, you know, has uh, insurance pieces to it. It's got uh, loan guarantee programs. It's got uh, various um, support for veterans in the form of education benefits, uh, in the form of, of uh, payment uh, for their disability claims, uh, just as an example of the of the multi lines of business that come under the uh, VBA, the Veterans Benefits Administration, and then there's the Veterans Health Administration, which is arguably the largest integrated delivery system in the in the nation, um, with you know well over a thousand points of care uh, to include major medical centers to local community based outpatient clinics and vet centers that support our veterans. So it, it is a big organization, um, and it, but it, it's an organization that touches people every day. Uh, and so, uh, and, and rightfully, the American public holds it to a very high standard. Which, in fact, it beats. Yeah, which 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 we should, right? Uh, these um, men now more women uh, go to the VA. Some nine million veterans annually get their health care through the uh, VHA. There's about had, nineteen million veterans world, you know, in the United States now. Um, it, that's down from twenty three million or so when I was secretary, uh, because the World War Two generation is, you know, is passing on. Um, and actually, it's my Vietnam generation that really is the, the larger portion of the veteran population now. And they are aging. Uh, I guess I resemble that remark. Right, but, right, exactly. But, I think many of us, many of us do. But, but the problems uh, that the VA challenges, maybe is a better word, that the VA has continues with this things like, you know, and you probably heard this when you were the secretary, your budget is ballooning. How, you know, it's now $240 billion. I don't know what it was back in your time. But how do we keep providing the resources that are necessary while at the same time expanding access to disability benefits? Because there are new issues that have arisen over, over time. That's correct. And the, the PACT Act recently passed uh, by Congress uh, to deal with the issues of uh, toxic exposures, really, that, that burn pits. And, and they also reach back into the Vietnam era with Agent Orange expanding some of the, uh, the presumptions with that and so forth. But th those are legislated by the representatives of the American people. Um, I think there is an obligation on the, for the executive branch and the, the leadership under, I think Dennis McDonough is just an outstanding secretary. Um, but to try to be more efficient, how do you leverage technology? How do you um, uh, provide
provide the very best care to keep people well and, and rather than letting them get sick? And how do you be proactive about it? Uh, all those things can lead to um, better uh, use of funds, but you know, it's an expensive proposition and the American people have uh, continually um, recently um, supported it. And Congress is very supportive of the VA uh, to, because of the because of the mission. Well, we saw some real advances, I think, in use of technology by the VA and acceptance by veterans. So that was part of the reluctance, I think, too, mm-hmm. that COVID brought along when when they expanded their telemedicine reach. Um, I've heard from a lot of folks that they really do like that ability to get on a uh, a virtual meeting with their doctor or their nurse practitioner and have that uh, discussion. That's the sort of yeah. efficiency and technology you're talking about, I think. It, it, it is. And the VA has uh, been a leader in the area of telemedicine for a long time. Uh, they were prepared. The ground was had already been plowed for when the, uh, the COVID pandemic hit. And the VA, like the rest of American medicine, um, moved to a telemedicine platform. Uh, I think there's no going back. It's uh, uh, and the, the leaders in that area, uh, like uh, Dr. Neil Evans, uh, as an example, uh, continue to uh, lead the way uh, in providing quality uh, telemedicine services that are integrated into the rest of the. VA care. From from your level, which is sort of this macro level now as a former uh, Secretary of VA and, and, and uh, with all of your experience, there's been a lot of push to, to get care out into the community. Um, I think there's been various reasons why people have been pushing mm-hmm. that, but g- give us your big picture view on that effort. Well, I think uh, it is, you're, you're right, the Mission Act uh, and, and before that, um, you know, an, an, an earlier act allowed um, veterans to have access. I think we're still working through the details of how best to do that. What, what is, um, a, it's, it's an opportunity to improve access to care, to improve convenience of care, um, but what you also want to balance it with is the continuity of care. And so the VA is uh, really looking to ha- how to best make sure that the veteran gets the best care at the right place. And if the, if, if the, if the VA itself, in, in many cases, uh, the VA itself does um, re- really has unique services um, that the civilian world isn't used to providing in the veteran experience. And, yeah. You know, P- PTSD is one example. Um, and that's where telemedicine can really help with in, in that regard by allowing the VA to provide some of those kinds of services um, remotely. Uh, things like spinal cord injury uh, or uh, prosthetics care um, are examples of where the VA really focuses on the veteran experience and understands the, uh, the environment uh, from which they came. And, and you've touched on something again with your, we're, we're talking to Dr. James Peake, who's a former secretary of the VA. Um, 
VA has this unique medical experience with some of those things that you've just mentioned because of its uh, uh, cohort that it serves. But I don't think people realize, and I guess I'd like you to talk a little bit about the research and the training uh, that uh, the VA does. The, the, VA, uh, the VA trains probably 70% of our medical workforce at one point or another. When I was at Cornell, I rotated uh, at the Manhattan VA for neurology, as an example. Um, but it is very, very common for our medical professionals, not just doctors, but nurses as well, to train in VA facilities. So that, that's one thing. The, the um, research that goes on in the VA uh, has been going on for a long time and is often uh, partnered with our academic medical center partners. Um, things like the first pacemaker came out of the VA, liver transplant out of the VA. There are Lasker Award winners, uh, I, I forget the exact number, six or seven or eight uh, Lasker Award winners. Um, one of the highest, uh, one of the highest research awards there are uh, out of the VA, uh, and a lot of the VA research is really focused on that veteran and th their experience. Now, obviously, you know, it, as an example, when we were dealing mostly with and very heavily with the World War II veteran population, um, those diseases of aging and so forth that we were able to study in that population allowed those kinds of um, scientific findings to be translated to the wider audience of the uh, of, of people um, of, of this medical science. So, um, it, you know, the VA has played an important role and medical research for many, many, many years. Yeah, and that, that information goes, be, while its uh, primary focus is on the veterans, that information gets out to the whole world, and ultimately uh, the dollars we're spending on the VA research budget helps all of us uh, get uh, uh, better medical care. Sure. As you mentioned, things like pacemakers and liver transplants and, and uh, prosthetics, uh, just uh, really uh, some amazing research that comes out of the VA. They, they really ought to do a better job of publicizing that um, <laughs> because, because I think it often gets lost uh, uh, as well as their training, that 70% of you know, doctors and nurses go through VA training. I, I don't know that uh, the average person, or even the average veteran, recognizes that. It's really quite impressive. Yeah. What do you, uh, Dr. Peek, uh, before we transition here, what's the biggest challenge you see that the VA is facing uh, here as we go into 2023? Well, I, I think what you, I mean, there, there's tactical issues um, like getting the PAC that in place and serving veterans uh, quickly. Yeah, every time you get new legislation, you know, you get a fairly short timeline to try to get it going. And it takes systems changes, it takes uh, you know, workflow changes and so forth, and outreach um, changes. So, you know, th those are tactical things. And I know uh, from talking to the secretary and uh, other leaders within the VA, uh, they are all over it and really trying very hard to uh, move, move along in um, consistent with the intent of Congress and uh, President Biden's personal push on it. Um, 
But I, I would say strategically, you, you sit back and you say just what you uh, spoke with, uh, spoke about earlier, and that the the cost of the VA has increased significantly um, and not and nonlinearly over time. And the question is how how long can that go? And you got over time, you've got a shrinking veteran population. Um, uh, so you know, there's it, what are the adjustments that are going to uh, have to be made with the VA over time? There was a an heirs commission that was um, uh, in part of the National Defense Authorization Act that was g- going to have a look at the uh, asset alignment of the VA. Yeah, there's a lot of old facilities and old hospitals and um, and in places that where the veteran population is no longer as big as it was. So the ability to manage that kind of enterprise-wide capital assets is going to be an important piece for the VA to move forward. The Heirs Commission um, was, basically it was stopped, um, but uh, the Secretary still has a responsibility for managing those, those assets, and he needs the tools to be able to do that. Yeah, and part of your budget's going into uh, old buildings and uh, old, old buildings, and old locations exactly. that maybe uh, it'd be better to readjust on. So, sure. um, interesting. We're talking to uh, Lieutenant General James Peak, retired from the U.S. Army. Uh, he's is a doctor, medical doctor, served as the um, secretary of the VA and is now the Senior Vice President for Health Industry, I believe is the long title for CGI Group. Do I do I have the title right there, Doctor? That's, good. that's correct, Senior <laughs> Vice President, exactly. So um, uh, CGI Group is a very large uh, information technology business uh, serving uh, really a worldwide population. Um, t- tell us about CGI a little bit, and then we're going to talk about uh, the need and uh, the attempts to attract veterans to CGI. Sure, CGI is a, a global. Uh, it's probably the fifth largest global IT end-to-end services uh, provider. Uh, it, we're in uh, about uh, forty countries, uh, about four hundred offices worldwide. Uh, we have subsidiaries in, in the United States. There's a federal sus- subsidiary where I actually uh, hang my hat. Um, serves the various agencies of the federal government, uh, but we have a commercial, state, and local government um, part, portion of the United States um, operation as well. Um, and uh, but it, it we will um, work uh, with um, very innovative technologies, new technologies, and apply them. Uh, to the end-to-end support of our various customers, whether commercial or government. As I said, this is a very large corporation, uh, international in scope, listed on the stock exchanges, uh, that sort of uh, size company. Um, But one of the challenges every company has, no, no matter how big or small you are at the moment, 
uh, has to do with attracting uh, new employees and certainly in the tech field that uh, technical consulting field that uh, the CGI is in that's uh, I'm sure a, a yearly challenge talk to us a little bit about uh, that challenge and its uh, particular focus on trying to uh, have veterans look at CGI as a, a employer of choice. C- CGI, um, as probably everything to do, and the VA, as an example of challenges, is always looking for high quality talent. Um, and, and so we actually have uh, what we call onshore. Uh, centers um, that are often in rural areas. We have a center that we've located deliberately in Belton, Texas, which is right outside the gates, basically, of Fort Fort Hood, Fort Cabezas now, I believe, and um, where you have 52,000 soldiers and their family members. So what we find is just really great talent of people that say, you know, if I'm leaving the service, I want to stay in this area and I, because it's affordable and I'm still connected with my military friends and benefits and so forth. And so uh, they, they, they bring their leadership experience to CGI. They bring their technical talent to CGI. Uh, They bring their, um, their initiative uh, and their desire to continue to develop their careers and learn and be a part of us. Uh, oftentimes, if they decide later they want to move, we because we are a global company uh, and really have offices all over the United States, they can move. And in many cases, we can l- let them work remotely um, to be a part of our team. So it's uh, we, we value the experience that our veterans have had in the in their military, which which with, from whatever branch, um, and it's not only just their technical expertise, but their leadership and their initiative and their work ethic um, that is attractive to us. In, as you say, because of your uh, CGI's large footprint, uh, there's a lot of mobility opportunity and i assume both uh, geographically but also up the corporate chain to get more more and more responsibility over time and and everything that goes with that uh doc, dr peak if somebody's interested in learning more about cgi and maybe maybe poking around to see if uh, uh, you know some job there might be a good fit for them how, how do they do that it sometimes can be confusing to to reach out sure. to a large corporation well, we you know we can, you can go to our our website at, at uh, cgi-veterans.jobs. It dedicated to veterans transitioning service members. It, it includes job seekers, translator, and a military codes processor to produce civilian job opportunities that match the specific military expertise. We have done a number of um, service to civilian job fairs. Um, too recently, where we, uh, I'm trying to remember the number of folks that we interviewed, we, we offered internships to 10 people right then and there. Um, and those, as you suggested, are starting positions that lead, that can lead to a career, a, a full career in CGI. Um, you know, you can develop and grow and take advantage of the internal technical training that we provide 
as as well as the professional development that you get from the the folks that are mentors. I'm part of a, what we call our member resource group for veterans and and military uh, affiliate folks, and that's part of what we try to do is promote the camaraderie of the veterans within CGI. So they have um, somebody that can touch base, they can touch base with that has had maybe shared experiences. Some of our members in the member resource group are spouses because we, we hire military spouses and um, we, we, they, they are active participants as well. I want to, as I bring this to the close, I want to point out something that uh, Dr. Peak just mentioned that I don't, I can't think of the last employer who recognizes, and that is you mentioned that uh, on the website there's a military codes processor to, to help translate what somebody's MOS is or was in the military to maybe what they could do in the civilian world. And so often that gets lost. The employer has no idea what you really did in the military. They just go, oh, you were in the Army. And it ends there. So so when you, th- this demonstrates to me that CGI knows what it's talking about, knows how to translate and and uh, help transition. So again, that that website is uh, http colon forward slash forward slash CGI hyphen veterans dot jobs. That's where you go and get this information. Dr. Peek, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today to give us your insights into the uh, uh, VA as it currently faces the challenges in the upcoming year, but also telling our listeners about CGI and and what opportunities might be available. Jim, thank you very much for the opportunity to spend the afternoon with you. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fawson. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level, and continue to support keeping Veterans Radio on the air. And until next time... You are dismissed.